what is up and welcome back to beyond the arc with brandon silvers as always i am your host brandon silvers hope y'all are doing well today we're talking about an epidemic that is sweeping the sports landscape putting your foot in your mouth as you can imagine we have a lot to cover so let's get into it all right first up let's talk about Dion sanders all right so i've spent a fair amount of time talking about Dion on here because this is a man who talks a lot and when you talk a lot you're bound to wind up with your foot in your mouth every now and then during super bowl week he swung by the rich eisen show set on radio row to talk to rich and of course the main subject was Dion's new job as head football coach at the university of colorado they were talking about Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts and how he's been able to deal with adversity to have the year that he's had this past season. And Rich asked Dion if he's able to tell when he walks into a recruit's home if the recruit has whatever it is that Hurts has in him that's allowed him to succeed. And Dion starts talking about how they have different attributes that they are looking for when they go out to recruit, like smart, tough, fast, disciplined, with high character. And hey, aren't we all? I mean, that's pretty standard coach speak, honestly. No need to make a full episode about that. Let's go ahead and end it here, and I will catch y'all next week. Oh, shit, wait. He kept going. He said, quote, Now, quarterbacks are different. We want mother, father, dual parent. We want that kid to be a 3.5 and up because he has to be smart. Not bad decisions off the field at all because he has to be a leader of men. Okay, so we're definitely going to have to discuss that, but hold on because he took it even further. He wants those attributes for a quarterback as well as his offensive lineman, but defensive lineman, he's looking for something different. This is what he had to say about them. Quote, defensive lineman is totally opposite. Single mama trying to get it. He's on free lunch. I'm talking about just trying to make it. He's trying to rescue mama, like mama barely made the flight, and I want him to just go get it. Now, before we get to Dion, Rich and his crew, which appears to consist of, if I did my research right, Chris Brockman, TJ Jefferson, and Mike Del Tufo laughed their asses off, particularly at that last part about the defensive lineman raised by a single mother. And it reminded me of when Dave Chappelle talked about leaving Chappelle's show all of a sudden because he was doing a skit one day that was intended to be a social commentary or satirical look about race in society, but a white crew member was laughing at what he was doing and he was laughing in a way that Dave felt was more at the racism than it was about the message that Dave was trying to send. If you wonder what Dave is talking about when he talks about this incident and how you can tell the difference between laughs, please go look at this clip of these guys just laughing and laughing and tell me that it doesn't irk your soul in some way. Now, I want to be clear for the record. I'm not accusing any of these gentlemen of being racist. Legally speaking, I would never do that. Illegally speaking, I might, but never recorded on camera and on a microphone without a lawyer on retainer. I will helpfully point out that Rich, Chris, and Mike are white and TJ is black, although it's also important to note that that does not absolve him of anything as you can still harbor anti-black feelings as a black person. And you can also, as a black person, laugh along with your white coworkers at stuff that's terrible because you need that job and you're uncomfortable, so it is what it is, and I totally get that as well, trust me. But the laughs really got me, as did the fact that nobody pushed back on what Dion said at all. And I get it was a lighthearted Super Bowl Radio Row interview, but good lord. And a big reason for that is because of the lack of opportunities in media for people who come from backgrounds like the one Dion was describing. 
Sports media in particular reminds me of my brief foray into the world of venture capital after the summer of 2020 when everyone was pretending to want more diversity. What these firms actually wanted was surface level diversity. What does that mean? Obviously black or brown skin, but you also have to have gone to these same institutions like a Stanford that the white venture capitalists have gone to and also have similar beliefs to them or at least not threaten to rock the boat with your own beliefs. When you're recruiting, but not specifically seeking out different educational backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds or upbringings, you will not get markedly different results than what you've been doing, which is what they want, but that's a whole episode on its own that I'm gonna have to do one day. And sports media is very similar to that. And because these guys presumably were not raised by a single parent or in a household where they had to utilize the free lunch program, they laughed. And I have a huge problem with that. Now back to Dion. At the very least, he should know better than to say this out loud. And I've gone back and forth on whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing that he said it into a mic. I mean, I bet a lot of other college coaches feel the same way. So it's good to get all this out in the open but I don't get how he would personally benefit from it by saying it publicly other than the signal to his admin and boosters that he's recruiting the quote unquote right kids. He's getting crushed for it and rightfully so. Dabo Sweeney, a man who has a history of saying incredibly dumb things publicly, hadn't even gone this far yet. And if he had, he'd be getting crushed as well. It perpetuates incredibly harmful stereotypes that will, despite not mentioning race, disproportionately harm black kids because normally when people throw out these stereotypes they're talking about black people whether or not the information is factual or applies also are these stereotypes even true of course not lebron james was famously raised by a single mother he seems like an incredible leader to me bad gm but great leader patrick mahomes is quite possibly the best quarterback we've ever seen and his parents divorced when he was 11. I mean, hell, Dion's current quarterback is his son Shadur, and he divorced Shadur's mom when he was 11. Maybe you should only play quarterback if your parents got divorced when you were 11. Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan's names are synonymous with hard work. You wouldn't want defensive linemen with their mindset? Both were raised in two-parent homes. Or how about all-time NFL sacks leader Bruce Smith, the only NFL player ever with 200 sacks? In a 2000 Washington Post article by Liz Clark that details Bruce's incredible career and work ethic, this quote stands out. But it is his father's imprint from his high cheekbones to the sensitive soul within that has made Smith the player and person he is today. George W. Smith was there at every phase in his children's lives. The article also notes that Bruce was raised in a middle-class neighborhood doesn't exactly sound like the free lunch guy that Dion's looking for. There are so many cases that refute Dion's stereotypes that I'd actually be worried that this is the criteria that he's using. Not only will he be missing out on a ton of great players that he won't even bother looking at due to his criteria, but if I'm an opposing coach, I'm 1000% bringing up his words when recruiting any player considering going to play for him at Colorado. Because like I said, even if other coaches feel that way, None of them are on tape saying it while a bunch of losers laugh their asses off about it. It seems so easy to spin too. Raised by two parents, Dion thinks you're soft and unmotivated. Raised by a single parent, he thinks you can't lead. Raised by a grandparent, single dad, two moms, two dads, whatever, he doesn't even consider you exist. This is a guy who already has a target on his back for so many reasons and he just keeps making it bigger and bigger. 
I'm still pulling for him because of what his success could mean for the success of other black coaches, but I'll be damned if he ain't making it hard. Moving on, let's keep it in the NCAA, but switch over to men's basketball and talk about everything going on at Alabama, particularly with their coach, Nate Oates. For that, we have a very special guest, so hang tight. All right, so as I said, we have a special guest with us today, the official Beyond the Art with Brandon Silver's collegiate athletics expert, Brett Gosnell, brought him in to talk about Nate Oates, coach for the Alabama men's basketball team. So Alabama has had an incredible season on the court, getting as high as number one. They're now currently ranked number two. Last night, they just beat our South Carolina Gamecocks in overtime, led by 41 points from star freshman Brandon Miller, a projected top five pick off the court. Not a gr- not as great of a season. In January, they had a player arrested and obviously kicked off the team, charged with murder for his involvement in an incident that led to the death of a young woman there in Alabama. Then it came out that the gun used in that crime was brought to the scene. It was the it was the gun of the kid who was arrested and charged with murder, Darius Miles. His friend, Michael Davis, did the shooting. The gun was brought there by that star freshman, Brandon Miller, wanted to bring Brett in on this. Tell us a little bit about what he knows, what he's read about the case, and discuss how Nate Oates, in my opinion, blew it with his press conference comments the other day. Brett, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, so first of all, let's talk about Nate Oates. The Brandon Miller involvement, no one knew about this until there was a a hearing the other day. It came out. Nate was obviously asked about it. And he said, quote, we knew about that. Uh, Can't control everything everybody does outside of practice. Nobody knew that was going to happen. College kids are out. Brandon hasn't been in any type of trouble, nor is he in any type of trouble in this case, just in the wrong spot at the wrong time. What were your initial thoughts when you heard uh, Nate's quote here? So it sounds like he's minimizing it for sure. But the position of the school, the team, the university, is that the kid didn't do anything wrong. They're, they're making that very clear at this point. And, you know, his statement was, like I said, minimizing it, perhaps insensitive, but it was essentially sticking to the party line of this kid didn't do anything wrong, which I don't know everything about what happened. I guess not many people do, but from what I've read, that's probably right at least legally i mean if the police didn't even bring any charges and the da has said that he's not going to be charged yeah so legally the kid did nothing wrong i mean uh, he nate notes could have talked about it a lot more artfully i guess given that a life was lost here tragically but you know the He's sticking to the line of the kid did nothing wrong, and that is probably the correct assessment. So I guess one of the big questions I have in my mind is he clearly says he knew about it. I'm guessing he knew about it fairly soon after the murder happened. 
Um, so why not if if Miller is completely innocent, as the DA says, he there's no crime being charged here. Why not come out as early as possible and address this versus letting the media find out and then answering it like a jackass at this press conference? Yeah, that's just him being naive, I guess, to think that. Did he think nobody was going to find out about it? That's what I don't know, because clearly it's going to come out. I mean, there's, if not a trial, there's all kind of pre-trial stuff where evidence is going to come out. So I don't understand what he's thinking by, oh, oh yeah, we we knew about that. We we didn't tell y'all, but, you know, we knew about it. He's innocent. Just take my word for it. I'm certainly not protecting my star freshman here. I wonder if he could have talked about we had it, or maybe he did. We had another player involved in this, uh, but and not name him. I mean, he is going to be named at some point, but maybe you look better if you say, hey, we did have another player involved in this. Uh, you know, I, and I don't, there's certainly an argument to be made that they should have suspended him at that point as they investigate. You hear that a lot, like, you know, with domestic violence stuff in the NFL, for instance, it feels like they'll suspend a player as they investigate the situation. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know if that, that feels like optics most, most of the time. And if they suspended Brandon Miller, that's all it would be at this point too. But, you know, again, it all comes down to, he could have talked about this a lot Nate Oates could have talked about this a lot better, but yeah. And, and that's the outcry on social media, obviously is suspend them, suspend them. What, what do you think about Bama not suspending him? So without even getting into the rightness or wrongness of it, doing so would simply be given into the media narrative, the public outcry, the public pressure of social media, all that. Because most of the outcry, it seems like people haven't read anything about the case. They, I think most people think he knew what the guy was going to do when he brought the gun to the scene. And he willingly brought the gun there to be used to kill somebody. And that's just not what happened at all. Um, and, you know, to make a larger societal point, you know, we we see this all the time now. You know, like news travels so fast everybody has a voice on social media now um hot takes abound and there's just public pressure on about everything and that's that's really what's happening here you know it's such a tragic event god knows but like this it seems brandon miller really like you said wrong place wrong time didn't know what he was doing and there's just all this outcry to suspend him and, you know, to, to give in to, to, if you suspended him, it would seem that you're just simply giving in to the outcry for, for the sake of giving into it. You know, you're not doing, you, you're not doing what's right. Do you think me being cynical, I, I wonder, would he have suspended him even just for optics if he wasn't, as good of a player as he is like how much do you think it's hard to say obviously you're not nate oates uh, thank god 
But yeah. do you think that that played any role in in him not being suspended? Yeah, I, you know, I hadn't really honestly thought about that. But, yeah, I, I think it could because at this point it seems like the easy way out for Bama is to suspend the guy, right? Uh, if he's your 13th man off the bench, then, you know, they're probably, that's probably what they're going to do, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but still, that would be just – taking the easy way out and giving in, you know, like what they're doing now, they're at least, it seems like they're, and I'm looking at it in the opposite of cynical. I'm looking at the, the most favorable lot to Bama. It seems like they really believe the kid did nothing wrong and they're trying to do what's, they're trying to do the right thing. And I wonder too, because I don't know how much you knew about the, the situation when Miles was initially arrested, but I know they they listed him out for the game, the upcoming game after the incident happened with an ankle injury. Oh, no, I didn't know anything. And then they they were like, okay, well, he's off the team and he's off the team because he was involved in a murder. So knowing that now, are you as eager to give them the benefit of the doubt? And also another Nate Oates thing. Did you hear who he brought in to talk to the team after all this went down? No. Ray Lewis. <laughs> On this subject? On this subject. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> I don't want to make light of this. We're not making light of the situation, but can you, Tiger? I feel like Nate Oates has handled this in the worst possible way each step of the way. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, so Ray Lewis back in the day, he actually did he actually do the stabbing? I think that he just allegedly uh, helped with the cover up, but he was charged with the murders, uh, the murder initially. Well, I mean, that is a apt person to bring in. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> but that's like. If you commit welfare fraud, bringing in Brett Favre to do the, uh... <laughs> yeah, and it's just, you know, like Nate Oates is a guy who the biggest program he ever coached at before Bama was Buffalo. Yeah. And we talked about it some with Lamont Paris, how he's had some issues with Gigi Jackson, probably because this is the best player he's ever had to coach. And so not a lot of five-star recruits coming through Chattanooga. I wonder how much of that small school mentality is at play here with Nate Oates handling this, if he's not just in over his head and that's why he looks so stupid the entire way. That's a, that's an excellent point. Cause like the sec is just a whole different monster, you know, like, I mean, these kids are professional athletes. Most of you know, like South Carolina is an exception of uh, being in Columbia, but most of these schools are in small towns, you know, like these kids are celebrities. I mean, yeah, like that element he's never, he's certainly never had to deal with before. Uh, the whole idea of there being media interest in the team like this, I assume he's never dealt with that at Buffalo. So yeah, yeah that's and true. That's, 
that's part of why his statement was probably so terrible because I know they've got a um, communications person because they had to release a statement afterwards apologizing for his statement. So someone works there in Tuscaloosa and I get like uh, each, each step of his quote, I found super interesting. Like we just covered, we knew about that and the issues I have with that. And then the next sentence can't control everybody, every can't control everything. Everybody does outside of practice. When have you heard a college coach admit such a thing? I mean, that statement is one of those things where he's technically correct about everything he said. You can't yeah. control, <laughs> Some, you know, um, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he, you know, it's, it was minimizing it and it was insensitive, you know, no, no question about that. He, he has, I'm not disputing. He has done terribly at every step of this. And I didn't even know about the Ray Lewis shit. That's, that is wild as hell. It's not even like, that's something you would write if you were writing like an SNL skit. Yeah, that's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just keep going back to the idea that there's, you, you like, again, you see it in so many things in society now. There's a business does something or a team, a sports team does something, and there's a huge public outcry. There's all this pressure. And most of the time, the entity just kind of gives in and gives the the mob what they want, you know. But Bama is not doing that. And whether whether you think that's right or wrong, I mean, it's it's unique to see yeah. to see them stand up, you know. Uh, I heard a, a, a comment today that like somebody said Bama was being spineless for. Uh, for not suspending their best player, and that's the opposite of what they're being. You know, like you can say they're they're slimy or immoral or whatever, but they're not being damn spineless. The easy thing to do would be to suspend the kid and give in to all the pressure. But now, now let me ask you: uh, what if they did that? Let's say they had have suspended him like for a big game against us last night. What do you think the public reaction would be well i guess this happened with a much less important incident with we were talking about him last night grayson allen mm -hmm. so grayson allen tripped everyone he ever met on a basketball court on purpose yeah and people were like, this guy's got to get a grip. And Coach K suspended him indefinitely. Mm -hmm. And indefinitely turned out to be like one game against a weak Georgia Tech team. And then they brought him yeah. back. Yeah. So if you do suspend them, I don't think there's like a precedent or a number that's going to satisfy everybody who wants him suspended. That's exactly that's the exact point I was trying to make. And Nothing you do is going to satisfy the the mob online, the the public pressure. You know, if you suspend him for ten games, nobody's going to be satisfied here. They've already made their minds up that the kid's a murderer. Um, because if if they hadn't already made up their minds up, they would know that they actually read the the facts of the case. They would know the kid really, you know, is not being charged 
has nothing to be charged for. But nothing, nothing that Bama does, in my, I, I don't think, as far as suspending the kid, I don't think there's anything they can do to like satisfy the public outcry. So it comes down to making the decision like what you think is right or wrong. Because on the flip side of that, like all the media, all the talking heads, Colin Cowherd was involved. Clay Travis has had a lot to say about it. All the I bet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So all the public pressure here, there's no consequences to bucking them. You know, like there's no they have they can scream all they want to, like the kid played last night and beat our ass. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's there's no there's no consequences that the public can bring. The only people that can bring some consequences are the law. They're not gonna do it. Uh and the NCAA, I guess, the they're not going to fucking do it. If you stand up to that North Carolina demonstrated, if you stand up to the NCAA, you know, they have no real so, power. Right. So it really comes down to what you as an institution think is, is right or wrong. And clearly Bama thinks the kid didn't do anything wrong. And you know, from what I know, I, I would tend to agree with that. I guess one thought that I had, even knowing that a suspension would not satisfy everybody was would it be better for brandon miller if they had come out gotten in front of this done the suspension for at least the optics and also as like a played out yeah and just and just even to kind of hammer home not even just for optics but to hammer home like okay you're about to be a top five pick you have to learn how to be more situationally aware of who is around you. Cause I was reading his lawyer's statement that miles texted him to bring the gun to him. And so first of all, if someone has a gun in my car, I'm trying to get it out of my car. Like I completely understand. I don't want your gun in my car. I will bring you your gun. But then like, man, if someone's texting me at, one in the morning or whatever to bring a gun. I have to be a little bit smarter than that. I I can't, I, yeah. should he have known a murder was going to be committed? No. I Did, no. Should he have had like some spidey senses tingling that like, damn, I know he's been out of the club. Maybe he's been drinking. I don't know. Does he need the gun right now as badly as I want it out of my car? And because I can't think of a time I've gone out with someone who I knew carried guns and I was like, I'm going to go out in public with this person and let them into my car as well. So just the lesson to teach him, like, look, you have a lot to lose, even if you didn't, but you have a lot to lose. Take some time off recognize that, okay, I got to be a little bit smarter so that I don't turn into damn John Morant shooting lasers at people and take this time off and think about that. And it will at least kind of blunt some of that outcry as well, possibly. Yeah. So first of all, I would say the, the bet. So I guess let me make sure I've got the timeline right here. So 
when did this when exactly did do we think that Nate Oates found out about Brandon Miller being involved with the shooting? I would think as best as I can tell, and I haven't seen an exact date from anybody, but I think it had to be around the time Miles got arrested because another thing that's come out is that Miller has been super cooperative with the police in giving him his own dash cam footage. Yeah. Okay. Which is why, how I think the charges got brought against Miles and Davis, who I believe are trying to claim self-defense. Okay. So the best possible way this could have been handled is if they would have suspended. And I think there was, uh, there was more than just Brandon Miller at this event. I think there was the other team. If, if they could have suspended every player that was even present within a half mile radius of this thing, if they could have suspended them all and said, these players were not saying they did anything wrong, but we're suspending them as the investigation plays out because we take this seriously. A life was lost. You know, we're taking this very seriously. And then once the DA announces that Brandon Miller is cleared of all charges and that he will not be charged, then you unsuspend him. That's like the perfect catalyst for saying he can play. I think that's the correct, yeah. So, you know, I think that would have been the best way to handle this. And I don't know, like, you know, I don't know exactly when Nate Oates found out about this. I don't know if there's enough time to have all that happen in that way, but that would have been ideal. Um, so now, now you've got me thinking about the moral rottenness or wrongness of what Brandon Miller did and, like, what I would have done, like, I grew up with guns and cars all the time. Like it wasn't that big of a deal. And like, if it's just kind of, it's, it's there for self-defense. And if uh, my grandma famously always kept a pistol in her glove box, if my grandma texted me at one in the morning, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, bring the heater, Brett, you know, I mean, I'm I'm going to do it because I'm thinking she's in trouble. Yeah. Like, so I don't know. Maybe that's a, if I was a first round pick, maybe I should behave better. But like, I don't, I don't know. Like one, it's, it's somebody else's personal property. One, you might think the guy's in trouble because presumably that's why he would have a gun to begin with. And you know, maybe you shouldn't put yourself in situations where you need a gun. That's a whole other thing. But like, we're a second amendment country. You can protect yourself with a firearm and, you know, particularly in Alabama. Right. So I don't know. I don't think it's beyond the pale that certainly legally we know the kid did nothing wrong, but I, mean, yeah. I don't think it's beyond the pale morally that, Hey, uh, you've got my gun. Will you bring it over? And then you, and you bring the gun. I don't know. I, you know, I don't think that's beyond the pale. And what we're doing is we're playing the result. Like a young yeah, woman who had nothing to do with anything, like she was just minding her business and got caught up in, in a shootout. She's lost her life. And if that doesn't happen, we never know. Brandon Miller does this. We never, like, it doesn't matter. It's just like what you were saying. But now that that has happened, I think that sometimes you do have to play the results. So I, I would at least want him 
and I'm sure I would hope he would have learned it now, but now you have to know, like, all right, I can't just, I don't care how badly you need this gun. I got to at least ask some follow-up questions. I can't just show up with a gun. And then, because I said that when he showed up, he, uh, uh, Miles got the gun out the car, handed it to Davis and the shooting started like almost immediately. And I know Miller's windshield got shot out or something too. I would have been shit everywhere. Yeah. Oh, I know. And you know, like, I don't know how, I don't know where Brandon Miller's from and how he grew up and stuff. I don't know if he's, he, there, there could be any range of, he's a true freshman. He's scared to death that a gun was even put in his car in the first place. Are you going to stand up to the guy and say, no, get that gun out of here. You're a true freshman. I mean, you, you know, you know, the dynamics of all that, you know, because culturally like I didn't grow up with a, around a bunch of people who had guns and certainly as a freshman in college, I would have been like terrified. I would not have known what to do. I would just been like, just get your gun. Here you go. Yeah. And like, I may have, I know people have got in my car with a gun and I don't, you know, I don't think anything of it. So, you, you know, I don't know, like there, there's that whole dynamic of, like you say, we're hindsight's 2020 and all that. But like, again, I don't think the kid did anything egregiously terrible here. And a, a, something I read today that we've not mentioned that we should, apparently he was already on the way to pick, uh, Miles, miles yeah uh, he was already on the way back to pick him up mm. so it wasn't as though he received a text saying hey bring me the gun and then he drove there apparently that text came while he was already was on the way on the way so that's a whole other thing he was he was going there anyway so you know just a, a tough situation uh, but yeah, I think Nate Oates, that press conference was like textbook. The whole, the whole way he's handled this has been textbook in how not to handle this situation. Hopefully we're all right. Miller is innocent and he learns and takes something away from this. Um, and certainly thoughts and prayers to the young woman's family. And uh, I appreciate you joining me to talk about this and hang on right there. We have one more segment left. Okay, let's transition to something a lot lighter. The NBA All-Star Game stunk and we have to talk about it. So please prepare yourself because this segment will be the oldest I've ever sounded. The All-Star Game is supposed to be a showcase of the best players in the league going against each other that in theory appeals to all fans. I mean, everybody wants to see the best of what they do compete against each other. Now, of course, the expectation isn't that these guys get out there and kill themselves for our entertainment. It's an exhibition, obviously, but they play in preseason exhibition games and in offseason pickup games at a high level of competitiveness without risking it all like they might in a game seven. So that shouldn't be too much to ask. And then if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, maybe ramp up the intensity a little bit more. Now, how hard we expect you to play typically goes down the more you've accomplished in your career and as you get older, but some of the best to ever do it would still come out and go hard just to put on a show. And for the most part, that's how it was when I watched it growing up and even well into adulthood. In fact, the All-Star Game as I know it didn't die until 2017. The exact moment it died 
is right here. As you can see, this is Steph Curry laying down on the court as Giannis flies in for a dunk. I'm starting to sweat with rage just looking at this cornball Harlem Globetrotter bullshit. Was I expecting Steph to contest it or foul him or anything? No, not at all. But laying down in the middle of play on purpose like you're taking a nap is the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever seen. And honestly, it's a textbook move from someone who tries so hard to be funny, but always ends up being a cornball. This is the exact brand of humor Drake used in his video congratulating LeBron for breaking Kareem's record. And the whole weekend has been a bust for a while now. I used to love watching the celebrity game until they let Kevin Hart do his try-hard antics year after year. Now it's a full-blown circus with all kinds of wacky hijinks when I just want to see if one of the stars of CBS's True Lies, which premieres March 1st, can cross up Flo Rida. But no. Thanks, Kevin. Then whatever the rookie sophomore game is called now is an abomination. There were 73 different teams. I thought I was watching March Madness. Every rookie and every sophomore in the league got picked, I guess, and each got to play like a quarter or something. I honestly don't even know. Oh, and like the players in the celebrity game, they were mic'd up because nothing is more fun than listening to a conversation when one of the participants can barely hear the other and is completely focused on a different task. Then there's the three-point contest. Seems simple. Five shots from five spots with a money ball at each rack. Whoever makes the most in a minute wins. Except now, there's a whole rack of money balls plus extra balls at different spots based on whichever corporate sponsor paid the most because someone was watching it one year and thought to themselves, okay, this is cool, but what if we had as much product placement as every Dwayne Johnson Instagram post ever? Shout out to Zoa Energy Drinks, the XFL, and Terramana Tequila. Then they have the nerve to call it a record when someone scores the most points without noting that there are 92 more possible points than there were back in the day because Sierra Mist had a rebrand. I could say a million things about the skills competition, but it can all be summed up with one sentence. The Nasus Antetokounmpo is an annual participant. And then they had to call up a G-leaguer to save the dunk contest because stars won't compete in it. And when they do, Dwayne Wade's sorry ass ruins it with his terrible judging skills. Only person who scores worse than Dwayne is his son. Now the dunk contest is going to be hit or miss some years simply because we've seen so many dunks and there are limitations to what humans can do, but you used to at least have stars compete. Michael, Kobe, Dr. J, Dominique, Vince Carter, guys like that. The first big name high flyer who didn't compete was LeBron, and I guess now it's just no longer a thing to do. John Morant is the guy right now in terms of exciting high-flying players, but he's too busy pretending to be Tupac. So we're left with guys like Jericho Sims who dunked with all the charisma and self-belief of me the first time I asked a girl out. But everything I just mentioned pales in comparison to what they've done to the actual all-star game. They had the idea to let the top two vote getters not only be captains, but also pick their teams right before the game, like in a pickup game. Everyone was excited about this, so naturally the league changed the format so that the last reserve picked wouldn't get his feelings hurt. I don't know what this accomplished outside of confusing Giannis because the last reserve picked was Jaron Jackson. We know he's the last player picked. Switching up the order to draft the starters last 
does not change that. The lead up to the game is also ridiculous. Luckily, no Steph Curry family game shows made an appearance, but Vin Diesel did for some reason, and they dragged the draft out for so long that Zion was almost healthy enough to play by the time they got finished with it. Once the game started, the players could not have cared less. You had a couple of guys trying a little bit, particularly Giannis, who I hate for bringing Thanasis everywhere, but that guy does not cheat the game at all. And LeBron, who has more than earned the right to coast at this point, actually hurt his hand trying to block a shot. Everyone played as much defense as Steph did when he laid down. There is nothing less exciting than watching people not try at a competitive thing. It's garbage. They need to do away with the MVP award and start awarding the laziest player award. Maybe the shame will do something. The first ever Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silver's laziest all-star award goes to Luka Doncic. Look, I am a hair on my head away from turning into a full-blown Luka hater. This dude needs to just fake an injury and not even suit up for the all-star game. He approaches it with the same amount of intensity that he does his off-season cardio. I would crush Jokic for the same thing too, but he's on his way to his third MVP award, so at least he's accomplished something. Luka has not, but here he goes year after year walking around the court during the All-Star game like he got lost going to his seat. It's pathetic. If he doesn't make a deep playoff run now that he's got crossover Kanye, it's going to be slander time for Beige Harden. But anyways, who put their foot in their mouth? Well, after the game, all the talk was about how awful the game was. Oklahoma City Thunder guard Shea Gilgis-Alexander was asked how to fix it, and he said, quote, money talks. First of all, most players have incentives in their contracts that pay them more for making the All-Star game. On top of that, the winners of the All-Star game get like 100K. The losers get like 25, 50K just for showing up. On top of both of those things, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is in the middle of a five-year, $180 million contract. And on top of all of that, he made that statement dressed like this. That's right. That's how Shea looked asking for more money to play basketball. Wearing the same fur coat that Prince Akeem wore in Coming to America. There is no other article of clothing that screams, I already have way too much money, quite like the fur coat, and he wore it to ask for more money. Now, he's a great young player, and I don't even necessarily think he was dogging it in this game, at least not compared to other players, that's for sure. But this all ties into the load management issue for me as well, and I'm wondering how much money do you need to play basketball? I get that the All-Star game is just an exhibition for the fans and everything, but you do kinda need the fans based on the current business model, right? I mean, a majority of the revenue used to pay these guys all this money comes from TV deals, and I don't think these companies are gonna keep paying for media rights, at least not to this level, if people stop watching the game. And that will happen if they keep playing like this. This year's All-Star Game had the lowest TV ratings on record. The previous lows were last year and the year before. Not a great trend even when you consider streaming. The ratings were lower than the ratings for the Pro Bowl where they played flag football and water balloon toss games and all this stuff you'd see at a family reunion. In case you didn't believe I'm the voice of the people, All-Star Saturday night with the dunk contest, three-point contest, skills competition, as well as the rookie sophomore game or whatever that was on Friday night, 
also reached historic lows. The celebrity game ratings actually went up, but I have to assume that was a mistake. But the players have to understand that the reason they're getting paid is because it's a business, a very lucrative business, and the main product is the games. So not only do they have to play in the games, but they also have to look like they care when they play in the games. And most importantly, do not complain when you get more than the average American makes per year to show up and lose the All-Star game that you need more money if people want you to actually try, especially if you're dressed like Dave Chappelle when he got Oprah pregnant when doing so. It's one thing to be empowered, but it's another to be entitled. These guys are paid to play basketball and they're paid to do so in a way that is entertaining to fans. If they don't hold up their end of the bargain, they can't assume the money will keep flowing in like it has and they certainly can't bank on public sentiment being on their side if that happens. I'd love for every player to be motivated by pride or putting on a show for the fans, but I'm not naive. If money is what motivates you, fine but do it to preserve the paycheck you already get. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of Beyond the Arc with Brandon Silvers. Thank you for listening and continuing to share it with the people you know and even the people you don't. And I will catch you next week.